I'm gonna show you something beautiful. Everyone screaming for mercy. You want to protect the world, but you don't want it to change. You're all puppets. Tangled in strings. Uh, hello everyone and welcome to Shot Reverse Shot, I'm Matt Risby, uh, hello and uh, joining me as usual is Ed Davis, how the devil are you sir? Yeah, really well, um, recovering from the NFL draft which uh, was a, a big night for me at work um, and was a very very long and tiring day and then the next day Did uh, you get drafted though Ed, that's what we want to know uh, no, but I'm hoping you know, like in the the sixth round, you know, that I've got my hopes up. Um, yeah. The the Jaguars have shown interest. Um, uh, no, uh, so yeah, that was just a really long day, uh, so long and tiring that the next day I was too tired to go to see uh, the Avengers as part of a work do, which would have been going to see it in IMAX 3D. So I went to see it in uh, plain old 2D yesterday. Mm. It's the best way. I've noticed that every time I do a podcast, you're always recovering from something. Like everything, like, I don't record it on a Sunday, but like Monday to Saturday for you, it just seems like an ordeal. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's just, it's just very, uh, well, my job's not exactly labor intensive, but it is a very attention and time intensive. So I think uh, Saturday is the day of just kind of recuperating from the previous days. And then Sunday, I'm just, Prime myself, and then it's the ordeal of recording. Mm, yeah, which it is, all starts again. It is an ordeal. Um, <laughs> speak, speaking of ordeals, um, this week um, Josh Trank. Uh, it was announced he he has exited um, the the Star Wars anthology film. Uh, we kind of uh, suspected something was up when he didn't show at the Star Wars celebration event, and uh, was kind of like just kind of mysteriously ill. Um, for that, which I mean, if I was if I was feeling a bit under the weather, I'd probably still turn out for the Star Wars celebration. Um, so I don't quite know what's happened, um, but someone at Disney has said uh, Tranks, but no Tranks. Yeah, hopefully they've uh, they sent out like a company wide email with that. Yeah, because that's um, the sort of pun you really need in a corporate hierarchy. Yeah, and I'm I'm going to keep saying it until someone picks it up because <laughs> it's it's gaining no traction uh, whatsoever. But he's he was blatantly fired, right? That seems to be the consensus. There were rumours um, a, a few months ago that things were going very very badly on the Fantastic Four, which he is just is is currently in post production, and apparently it seems that he was just kind of overwhelmed for making that film by the the scale and the budget of it, and he was. That the people say he was like uncommunicative and was really indecisive, which isn't really what you need. What you want when you're investing hundreds of millions of dollars in a film director um, and giving it to him to kind of play with. So he alienated Simon Kimberg, who is the producer on Fantastic Four and also one of the producers on the uh, anthology film. And he basically went to the Disney people and said, "I don't think this guy can handle it." Mm. Is my well, understanding. 
Uh, I mean, he did release a statement saying, you know, I'd like to work on original ideas and all this kind of stuff. But you think, no one walks away from Star Wars with that being their third film, do they? No one just says, you know, actually, I think I'm, you know, I think I'll probably be better off working on something I'm going to make up myself rather than not only take, like, I mean, the Star Wars anthology films, I mean, we've not really kind of talked about them, but, like, the way they're kind of setting up is is those gigs are going to kind of like up and coming directors. And when I say up and coming directors, I mean like first time kind of rookie indie directors. I mean, it's like the new breed of kind of uh, big budget filmmakers. Um, yeah. Uh, Gareth Edwards. Oh God, I always get confused. We had this conversation last time. Is it Gareth Edwards who's doing the other one? Yeah, you were right that time. Yeah, wicked. Uh, that time, <laughs> the only time. Uh, Gareth Edwards is... You know he's he's directed a few films and and they've been great, but like this is a big opportunity for him to kind of shine uh, on a very big stage. Um, and Trank seemed to have that opportunity as well. So whilst he loses out, someone else will step up, which is nice. I don't know who that'll be. I suggested Ben Wheatley should do it um, in a hundred percent serious way um, because uh, he's awesome. Yeah, and. Uh... If they were really committed, because uh, when they did the Star Wars Celebration thing, they talked about how the whole idea behind the anthology films was, oh, they can be in different genres and different scopes and have different tones and everything. And you kind of get the feeling if they really want to commit to that, someone like Ben Wheatley would be a kind of a, a great choice. Maybe they, he can show them whatever he's shot of uh, High Rise and see if uh, they want some kind of dark and weird and claustrophobic Star Wars film. As their mm. one of their standalones, I think um, it, uh, I would probably suggest that it might be time for Neil Blomkamp to uh, come in from the cold, and uh, I think directing someone else's material might do him a bit of good because um, mm. not doing a great job directing his own. Yeah, I think certainly he would seem to be uh, a good choice if he and, and it may kind of take him away from that Alien sequel, which everyone was sort of excited about until they saw Chappie and now seem a bit cooler on. Mm, yeah, yeah. This is the kind of thing that, like, everyone saw the concept art and was just like, oh, that looks amazing. And then everyone saw, like, uh, Chappie and then also kind of thought, oh, actually, Elysium was wank as well. Um, and then, yeah, the reality sinks in. It's probably not a good idea. Yeah, it was kind of like when you hear that like someone you're friends with has kind of broken up with a girlfriend and you could just kind of go, oh, that's a real shame that that didn't happen. And then they get together immediately afterwards. It's like, oh, mm. oh no. <laughs> I, said all, I said all those things about how she was really good for you and actually I secretly hated her. Mm. And I, kind of, I kind of feel that way about the alien uh, concept art where you kind of think, oh, it does look really cool. Yeah, it's a shame you didn't get to direct that when really you're thinking... Yeah, that does really look really cool. I'm glad you never got to <laughs> kind of fuck that up. Mm, yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, that's probably kind of the biggest news um, uh, this this kind of week as far as films go. Um, but we're going to talk about The Avengers this week. Um, the Avengers 2, uh, Age of Ultron. I'm convinced Ultron is the name of a detergent because um, <laughs> it sounds like it is. Um, but, yeah, kind of... Tying it into the news briefly, it has got off to a monstrous start at the box office in kind of the opening weekend. It pulled in eighteen million pounds at the British box office in two days. That's fucking absurd. Yeah, and uh, at the US at the time of recording, I don't know if this will uh, change when actuals come in, but the US opening weekend was one hundred eighty-eight million dollars, which is 
20 million short of the first film's total, but it's still the second biggest opening weekend of all time, so it's not exactly like they're um, slouching. Yeah, and it's yeah, it's only going to kind of keep going um, because it, it probably you know the Avengers, the first Avengers film had real legs, didn't it? It lasted a long time. Yeah, the first Avengers opened to, to uh, two hundred and seven million and ended up with six hundred and twenty three million in the US, and which is uh, crazy because you would expect with a film to open that much that the best it could do would be to like double whatever its opening weekend was, which is kind of what happened with. Uh, Iron Man 3, which was the previous number two. That opened to 174, I think, and just closed with slightly north of uh, 400 million. Mm. So for it to start huge and then continue earning like $400 million more uh, was something that no one really expected from the first Avengers. Now we've kind of, uh, we've kind of previewed the Avengers. We've talked about Marvel Cinematic Universe quite a lot. Um, we've both finally seen the film. Uh, what did we think collectively? Uh, I liked a lot of it. I certainly liked a lot of individual scenes. I kind of got a little bit fed up with a lot of the uh, what I've seen referred to and I've referred to as franchise obligations, which is where they have to start talking about Infinity Stones, even though they don't really have a huge bearing on the plot of this film, uh, just because it's setting up stuff for the next films. Uh, and the, just that kind of sense where the Avengers felt like this kind of this it felt like a, a finale to the previous like three or four films that preceded it and like it was uh, a culmination of something this feels more like oh this is just kind of like a page break or something yeah it did seem that way um, there was a lot of kind of shoehorning in of, of things that that probably you know, could have waited because I mean they're kind of baiting us for films that are going to be out in like 2017. Yeah, 2017 all the way through to 2019. They were, in, I think, they're only really short of a kind of a nod to Doctor Strange. Yeah, I kind uh, of expected were, Strange to turn up actually. Yeah, Strange or uh, Ant Man. I think Ant Man was. I get the feeling Ant Man probably would have shown up if they hadn't had all the the trouble with getting his film off the ground. Uh, mm. I know that Loki was due to make an appearance in, I'm assuming, one of uh, Thor's visions. But, yeah, it, it was already, it was it was kind of felt overstuffed to begin with. Yeah, yeah. Does uh, Whedon do a good job of balancing everything that's going on? Because there's a lot going on in there. Yeah, I think so. I think his main impediment this time around is, again, all that franchise stuff, having to kind of work in the nods and the kind of, callbacks and call forwards and things like that but into when he's allowed to kind of just get on with the business of telling the story or just of uh, allowing him to kind of play around with the cast I think it works really well um, I think the scene after their first attack on the Hydra base where they're all just kind of sitting around drinking and trying to lift Thor's hammer is for me probably the best scene of any of the Marvel films Mm. Uh, it's just really funny. The cast are incredibly charming in that moment, and it just has this kind of feel of you just kind. It really does feel like these people hang out with each other all the time when they're not filming, um, mm. and it, you know it just has kind of a, a, a warmth to it that kind of reminds me of, in a good way, of like a long-running TV show, mm. the kind of the, the kind of easy rhythms that people have when they work together a lot, um, and also the the whole middle section where it becomes the big chill. I liked quite a lot as well. Mm. 
Um, I like the bit in when they're trying to move the hammer where Captain America... Now, I'm sure, and I don't know whether this is just uh, kind of pareidolia, um, you can look that up, you can Google that word, uh, listeners at home, um, but I'm pretty sure I saw the hammer move when uh, Chris Evans was pulling on it. But what's probably best about that bit is just the look on... Uh, on uh, which Hemsworth is it? Chris. <laughs> His face, Chris Hemsworth's face. Uh, uh, it's pretty. He's really kind of talented comedic actor, and I've kind of, I've kind of uh, warmed to him so much since he hosted uh, SNL the other week, and his um, American Express advert has uh, continued to tickle me uh, through the uh, through the week since. Um, but yeah, that's a lovely little moment, and uh, I always kind of hated Thor out of all of the characters most, but. Um, I don't know, for me, he comes out as the kind of MVP, really. Yeah, I definitely thought that I saw it move as well. So either it did move or Thor's reaction made me think that it had moved. Because you're right, that there's like, it is literally like half a second of doubt mm. on his face as he's thinking, oh, he's going to do it. And then when he fails, he just instantly goes into a huge laugh. <laughs> uh, and it's great. It's a really brilliantly observed kind of little character moment uh, mm. in a scene that's kind of full of them. But yeah, he is far and away uh one of the funnier ones in the in this particular film um i have to say um something that bothered me about uh the avengers 2 uh was i felt a little bit like the action went a bit kind of uh, michael bayhem and i don't mean like it was just kind of bombastic and and hollow i mean i couldn't really tell what was going on in some of it yeah the Scene that immediately follows that that kind of funny, lively scene of them hanging out is for me borderline incoherent, mm. which is the scene where they first fight Ultron, where it all takes place in the confined space of Avengers HQ at night, and it's incredibly dark, and their people's bodies are flying everywhere, and at numerous points I was like, I have no clue who this person is who's in the fight at the moment. Oh, it's oh, it's Hawkeye. Okay, fine. Mm. Um, uh, the which is weird because the opening scene, uh, the opening shot, in fact, of the film is just of uh, that unbroken shot of them going through the forest where it's like, okay, here's where everyone is. Everyone, you know where everyone is in relation to everyone else. It ends on, or nearly ends on, that shot of them all kind of lined up as kind of like a, a group hero shot. And you think this is all very kind of cleanly composed. But then, yeah, the whole last 40 minutes is just chaos. I, I found the... Um... Hulkbuster scene uh, as well, a bit kind of uh, Man of Steely, uh, kind of, um, I couldn't, yeah, if it hadn't been for the red and green colours, um, I probably wouldn't have been able to really work out what was going on there a great deal. I didn't mind that scene as much as some of the others because, yeah, it was at least only a couple of characters, mm. so it wasn't as, it wasn't like later on where it's cutting between sort of five or six different fights at once and it all kind of becomes a bit... Uh, incoherent but it wasn't as good as a lot of the scenes in the uh in the first film which had a lot more kind of a clearer sense of action this one kind of feels like it wasn't they didn't go into any of the scenes with a clear sense of what they wanted they just kind of shot a bunch of coverage and hoped it would come together in editing uh just before we go on to this next bit i'd like to just tell everyone now we we are going to be running spoilers throughout this Oh yeah, um, um, and none bigger than we're going to talk about Quicksilver, um, who uh, we mentioned at the end of um, last year's roundup of, of how uh, how much we enjoyed uh, the Quicksilver scene from Days of Future Past, and uh, 
Um, Quicksilver is making an appearance in the Avengers uh, on loan. He's on loan from the X-Men um, until the end of the season. Um, <laughs> what did you think of him? Because I know you're, you're not really a fan of uh, Aaron Taylor Johnson, are you? No, he's he's basically... I think you could replace him with a mannequin in most of the films and they'd be pretty much identical. Uh, I thought that he was... This was the least bland I've ever seen him, mm-hmm. which is Praise a indeed. huge compliment. <laughs> um, uh, he wasn't... He wasn't overall, for me, as good as Evan Peters was in Days of Future Past, but uh, Day- Evan Peters really just has that one scene in which to shine, whereas mm. uh, I think that the, uh, Aaron Taylor-Johnson has the kind of a more weight to shoulder in this one. I thought that he did uh, a pretty fine job, even though he wasn't as kind of distinct or uh, scene-stealery. Mm. Um, and he's on loan from um, X-Men on, on the condition that he's uh, referred to as enhanced. Um, yeah, uh, I think isn't there some kind of weird legal entanglement? They can't say they can't say he's an Avenger, and they can't say he's a mutant. Is that right? Yeah, uh, he's a, he's a mutant in the X Men chronology because he and Scarlet Witch and X Men are the children of Magneto, um, which I don't think they are in the films, although I think it's kind of hinted at. Mm. Um, and they're also part of the Avengers, but because. Fox owns X-Men, they have the legal right to the word mutant within the world of uh, all of the Marvel stuff. So they can't include any of the X-Men. They can't say mutant. They have to say enhanced. That makes them sound like they're juicing. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> it just makes them sound like they're roided up. Um, I kind of uh, liked um, uh, which Olsen twin is it? Uh, uh, it's, it's Elizabeth. Elizabeth, the, the, non, the non-twin. Um I'm having real, I'm real kind of trouble differentiating people uh, on this show, um, but yeah, she was kind of uh, kind of did all right with a bit of a kind of thankless role. Really, she kind of just made kind of fireballs and did a kind of wispy hand thing in people's ears and made them go a bit cuckoo. Her powers were very ill-defined. Uh, I think sort of by the end, it seemed that she could do pretty much anything. Yeah, uh, which you know meant that she got to be pretty heavily involved in the action, but also meant that. You were just kind of thinking, so she can make shields now? Is she making the robots believe that there are shields there? Mm. And fireballs and liftings and all yeah, kinds so of shit. She, she basically, by the end, is like, uh, we need her to do this. Can she do this? Yeah, why not? Mm. We haven't really explained what her powers are, so she can do pretty much anything. She's like Jack-Jack from The Incredibles. Yeah, she's got every base covered. Um, the performance I enjoyed, um, kind of, I think, maybe, not maybe most, but yeah, I reckon most... Um, is uh, James Spader as Ultron, who uh, has made a career of playing kind of creepy assholes, um, and someone's got to have done it already. Someone's got to have cut um, some Ultron footage with dialogue from Spader's character from the US Office because <laughs> um, both of their dialogue is just really creepy and kind of unsettling and kind of weird. Um, or secretary. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and it's it's uh, he's kind of a lot of fun. He has a lot of fun, especially when he's kind of singing that song from Pinocchio. Yeah, I, I did really enjoy him as a villain. I didn't think I didn't kind of understand what his motivation was meant to be because they just kind of made him generically insane. Mm. But his and and his design was just kind of generic evil robot. But his actual his actual cadence and the way he just kind of turned lines and would just kind of mumble to himself at times added a lot of personality to a role that could have been like pretty much if you 
play him as like any of the Transformers from the the, the Michael Bay films would have just been like boring. Whereas mm. he was actually really funny. It's been said um, that Marvel haven't managed to get their they managed to get their heads around doing a really good villain yet. I mean, Loki was pretty good, mm. but yeah, do you think that Ultron kind of uh, matches up? In terms of a sense of someone being a, a legitimate thre- uh, threat to the Avengers, he's pretty high up there because he is someone who can just, you know, his consciousness can move from body to body and he has all this great knowledge and he has a kind of a, that kind of almost religious fervor in his beliefs that the Avengers are the true threat to the world and they and all human life need to be wiped out in order for peace to truly reign. And so I think that level of... Uh, yeah, that kind of zealotry, I think, is what makes him feel genuinely kind of threatening in a way that, you know, the, the uh, simple world-conquering designs of Loki et al. Uh, aren't quite as terrifying. Mm. Speaking of conquering the world, um, are we kind of stuck in a kind of perpetual cycle of the world just being saved every film? Because uh, in most of the Marvel films, like the heroes you know, have saved the world against some kind of threat. And now it's basically they're doing it as a gang. And now they've done it twice as a gang. And now we've got another, what, two more times to go through this? Yeah, I mean, this is this is a problem that I wrote about in my review, and which is also a problem that I've seen in Doctor Who for the last couple of years, which is basically where if you save the world every time out, it becomes really hard to care when, like, the it gets the the, the season finale, which is kind of what... Uh, Age of Ultron feels like and they're saying oh we've got to save the world again it's like well how is that different to every other time you did it but I do feel that there is a, a distinct difference between like what's known as the phase phase one films and uh, the phase two films in terms of their scale because if mm. you think about the first Iron Man film that's not really about conquering the world that's really just about someone trying to destroy Tony and kind of get his business mm-hmm. and then if you think about Captain America he you know he's he is saving the world against the Nazis, but that's a conflict we already know the outcome of. We know the Nazis don't win. So you get the sense really there that it's not about saving the world. It's really just kind of about introducing him in a setting in which you know what the outcome is going to be. Thor uh, doesn't really have, you know, Loki in Thor doesn't really have Earth conquering tendencies. He really just wants to conquer Asgard. So mm. that all these other films, they're really more about fairly small scale stories that could at some point have global significance. But if you look at all the Phase 2 films after the Avengers, it's like, yeah, after the hugeness of that film, we have to go big every time. And I think that that's kind of something that hurts Age of Ultron. Is it doesn't, you don't see why the team has to come together for this one. Mm. Are you uh, au fait with uh, the canon, I guess, of the, of the comic books? Like, where, what's to come in, in the kind of Infinity Wars because I know Civil War is is a famous comic, isn't it? But is is the sequels to the Avengers are they are they kind of famous or are they they all is it all new material? I I don't know much about the specifics, but I do know that they are quite famous and that the uh, Infinity Gauntlet is a, quite a big deal, uh, and that it's one of those stories where a lot of characters end up dying, uh, which uh, I'm not sure they'll go through with in uh, in the film version uh, unless the like the actors are being really intractable with their uh, their uh, contract negotiations hmm. because like at the end of the avengers we kind of get 
a new team of Avengers. Um, and I know that there is a thing called the New Avengers. Um, is that just a rebrand or is that all those new people? Uh, I think that's more kind of a rebrand. I think the the idea of the Avengers is it's, it, the, the membership kind of rotates quite a lot, like Spider-Man's an Avenger at one point. Um, and I think will probably become one in Civil War if he shows up. Uh, mm. Now that they've Sony have realised that they're just throwing good money after bad by making the amazing Spider-Man films. Yeah, apparently we're going to get an announcement on the who's going to be the new Spider-Man in two days' time. Yeah, currently I think the uh, the front runner is Asa Butterfield. Who, uh, who's that? Is that Hugo? Yeah, Hugo. Right. So like, um, I won't hold that film against him, but. Yeah, it's kind of it's a little disappointing that they've gone for just a white guy instead of you know the the one they were saying for a while that it would be uh... Miles Morales. Yes. Yeah, that would be perfect because uh, you've got a lot of great. Well, it's, you know, I'm not kind of uh, kind of uh, banging on this drum uh, in a kind of like kind of ultra liberal sense, um, but like just fucking do something different. Jesus mm. Christ, do you know what I mean? How many more times do we want to see Peter Parker? You know, how many more times can you see Uncle Ben die? Yeah, I think three Peter Parkers in just over a decade is, you know, that's just sloppy. Mm. And that, so that's that's just over a decade, three Peter Parkers, and we've had five films. Um, yeah. And really, none of them have been, like, amazing. Yeah, everyone bangs on about Spider-Man 2, but I'm not buying it. Yeah, I mean, I, I do like Spider-Man 2 and, and the first one, but they're not, for me, they're not kind of the top tier of, mm. and... Uh, in, in the, I think the the kind of the great shame of it all is that Tobey Maguire wasn't quite a strong enough actor to play Peter Parker, and Andrew Garfield wasn't given enough material to actually do any good films in the Amazing Spider-Man ones. So they had all the components for really great films, but they were just kind of given to the wrong actors. Mm, mm. Do you know who I can't wait to see appear in an Avengers film? Who? Batman. Can that happen? We'll see how Batman versus Superman goes. Oh, let's huge, get Superman in there as well. I think it'd be fucking awesome. If it's a huge flop, then uh, they may come running. Yeah. Um, I did overhear someone at work talking. There was two people having a conversation about uh, watching superhero shows, and someone was saying they were watching Daredevil, and they said, and, you know, I'm also watching The Flash just to kind of keep up in case they cross over. Mm. And then the other person was just like, different universes. And like, the other guy was just like, really... Just kind of abashed when he realised that the, they were in separate universes and they were never going to uh, cross over. Mm. Just think, like, in, in 2019, we could be collectively chewing on our hats uh, as um, both, like, Batman, Superman, uh, the Ghostbusters, the female Ghostbusters, <laughs> the female 22 Jump Street, uh, and also, uh, who else is going? Oh, there's some people from Jurassic Park all turn up. Uh, to fight Galacticus in uh, <laughs> whatever Avengers Six or whatever. I mean, because you know, strange things have happened. Well, I don't mean they have actually. That, that would be pretty fucking strange. Uh, I think it all depends on uh, which of those franchises Disney manages to buy up. Yeah, yeah, all of them. Every film will belong to one universe. If they can all exist in one theme park, then they can all exist in a single film. How do you feel about the Avengers against Avengers One? I didn't. I enjoyed it a lot, and I, but I didn't enjoy it quite as much as I enjoyed number one. Although it did have um, a Eugene O'Neill joke in there, which uh, I appreciated as a fan <laughs> of uh, um, American theatre. Um, but how did it stack up for you? 
Yeah, I, I'm pretty much in the same boat. I thought that it was, you know, I had a lot of fun with it. I really enjoyed it. There were parts of it that I thought were great. There were lots of really terrific one-liners and uh, some some really great sequences, but it wasn't as satisfying as a whole as the first uh, Avengers was. Mm. Uh, what do you think about Vision? Uh, because like it's a, you know, we're watching a film with like a like a Norse god who, who can fly by pulling on a hammer, and a, like a dude who throws a shield who's like from the forties and stuff. And you know, Iron Man. It's all these ridiculous things. But when Vision turned up, I was just like, oh, is this this is weird? <laughs> um, I did like what uh, Matt Singer, who writes for Screen Crush, said when because he he went to one of those Marvel marathons where they played all eleven films in a row. And it was like 29 hours of pure film watching. And he's saying that uh, he really appreciated the end when uh, Iron Man, Thor and Vision are all shooting at Ultron with their laser various kind of energy beams. Mm. And he was just thinking, this is the nerdiest thing I've ever (laughs) seen. (laughs) Um, And I think that that is true. I think Vision is really... Along with Guardians of the Galaxy, that's that's kind of the sort of weirdness that Marvel have been hoping to give themselves license for with all the previous films. Mm. Like each one kind of has gotten progressively more out there, and so by the point we're getting to a kind of an artificial intelligence that's in a body constructed from a incredibly rare mineral with a infinity gem embedded in his forehead, mm. um, who flies around in a cape. Um, and actually, my, my favourite moment in the film, which just kind of made me really chuckle, is during the tooling up montage where they're getting ready to take on Ultron for the final time. It's just a shot of Thor and Vision kind of talking to each other. And all I could imagine is they're just talking what they use to kind of clean their capes. <laughs> yeah, they probably use Ultron, the, uh, <laughs> the amazing detergent. Um, and there's that, the great bit where, uh, where Vision has, he picks up his hammer. Uh, which mm. and that's the thing I think that Josh Whedon does uh, like amazingly well because there's so many moments in the Avengers or these kind of Marvel films where it could just be so portentous and so po-faced and there's times where you think the Avengers go in there and then he'll just undercut it with like a really great gag or a kind of uh, a great little character moment like when they go and stay at Hawkeye's almost impossibly idyllic American home <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, and um, uh, uh, the girl from Freaks and Geeks is his wife and it all gets a bit kind of like introspective and kind of staring out of windows and kind of a bit soft focusy. And then she comes into uh, the bedroom and says, I've always been supportive of your avenging. <laughs> I thought that was a brilliant line. I think I do think that Vision handing him the hammer was maybe my one of my favourite moments in the film because, like you say, it's just such a, a great payoff to what initially seemed like a really throwaway scene early on in the film. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you've seen them all fail to lift it. And so the fact that he does it so easily just kind of has this tremendous weight but it's it's played as like a punchline as much as it is kind of a moment of acceptance because it is yeah. it is basically like pulling the stone from uh, uh pulling excalibur from the stone <laughs> but it's being played as like a a, a gag um mm-hmm. and and you know Whedon will always have that because he's uh he's a pretty dab hand it is he coming back for he's not is he it's the russo brothers who are doing uh, the uh, Infinity, what's it called? Infinity Wars he, 1 and 2. Yeah, he they're doing uh, Civil War and Infinity Wars back-to-back. Wow. Uh, Chris Evans said he's going to be, they're going to be filming for about nine months straight. Although I, I, part of me wonders if uh, he's actually being slightly uh, misleading there because 
uh, for people who know um, the Civil War storyline, uh, Captain America doesn't make it all the way through. Ooh. And thanks for spoiling that for me, Ed. <laughs> sorry, oh, um, Jesus. And and someone else ends up becoming Captain America. Um, Is it Batman? No, yeah. Bruce, oh. Bruce Wayne shows up and he's just kind of like, ah, a new uniform. I can I can join this franchise now. Oh, sweet. Um, but yeah, so I, I, part of me wonders is if they're going to keep that because it's actually like a really iconic moment that they'd be really, that you kind of wonder what would be the point of making the film if you're not going to do that. Or And so he, when he says they're going to be shooting for nine months, he's not actually saying he's going to be shooting for nine months. The films are going to be and then he'll kind of tap out and someone else will be taking the mantle in Infinity Wars. Or if the Marvel Universe is kind of uh, whole aversion to death, will uh, at least of the kind of the above-the-line cast, will uh, will prevent them from killing him off. Quite possibly. Because um, I saw someone complaining on Twitter today, they were like, oh, I heard someone dies in, in uh, Avengers Age of Ultron. Oh, I bet they die like Agent Coulson dies, or you know, it's never pre- you know having characters who are like completely immortal or kind of unkillable is not really very tense. It doesn't really kind of lend itself to drama. And obviously, Quicksilver dies in it. Um, I think he's dead. Um, I mean, you know, he can't pull a Coulson, can he? Yeah, and and also they went for the they did the the thing that you always do when some to show that someone is definitely dead, which is that uh, Hawkeye named his. Uh, his third child after him, uh, or, or that was his middle name uh, when they showed his name at the end of the cre- at the end of the film. So I think uh, they'd have to they they have to keep him dead. Otherwise, they're going to have to go into the registry and have it changed. That, that, that genuinely surprised me that they killed him off because I thought they were going to kill Hawkeye off, and then then he got shot. Although they didn't really explain what was happening there, um, whether or not he like diverted all the bullets into his own body. I'm not sure. Um, but yeah, the, the fact that they actually killed someone shouldn't have surprised me that much because it's Joss Whedon, and yeah. he's known he's known for it. But uh, yeah, I was, I, that that was kind of genuinely shocking, and it made me realise that I actually had quite warmed to that version of Quicksilver by the end. Mm, yeah, um, bit of breaking news. Uh, whilst uh, you'll all, you know when you listen to this podcast, everybody, this will be kind of old hat. Um, but they've just uh, released the first picture of Suicide Squad. Uh, the first kind of big cast photo. I don't know if you've seen it, Ed. I don't know. Uh, Unlike me, you're not so rude to be uh, pretending to be listening and also (laughs) be going on the internet as well. Um, But, um, yeah, it looks rubbish. (laughs) Quickly Google it, Ed. It's on on Hey You Guys. But, um, yeah, it looks like someone cosplaying as Harley Quinn rather than Harley Quinn. Um, And it looks really silly. Killer Killer Croc looks very silly. Yeah. but then they all all just looks like a bunch of dudes like going to kind of like a like a really kind of ropey costume party. That's kind of dogged all of the Suicide Squad stuff, really. I mean, that's certainly you know what we were saying about uh, about their version of the Joker and stuff. Mm. There's just a, a general sense that this isn't a real film. Yeah. I mean, how could it be a real film? I mean, are you looking at the picture now? Uh, I'm trying to find it. Yeah, it's on Hey You Guys. It's like okay, the first yeah, okay. there. Right, okay. Now, just like Will Smith looks really? like he's he's come off, like he just he's from a separate film and he just kind of wandered into it. Looks like oh, take... God. Mm. This, this, this is, this is radio, radio gold, everybody. <laughs> yeah, everyone, everyone listening to this, do Google this. It does look, this does look pure Comic-Con. Yeah. 
is crap. It's really. Cool. I mean, look at uh, the guy playing Killer Croc. He just looks like he's slightly green painted an old Thing costume from when it was Michael <laughs> Chiklis. In fact, is that Michael Chiklis? It does look like him. I'm not sure who's playing Killer Croc, but yeah, he does. It does look pure Chiklis. And who's the dude on the end in the in the like the Letterman jacket? What what even character is that? I don't know. I don't know anything about like comics, but uh, I don't know. I know that uh, Will Smith seems to be cosplaying as Gordon Freeman from uh, Half Life. Yeah, that's a possibility. Uh, the dude in the middle is that Joel Kinnaman? Like yes. if you if you kind of blow your eyes a bit, it looks like Channing Tatum. But then that might be I've got you know a thing for Tatum, so that might might just be that. And the other two guys on the far left, they don't even know who the fuck they are. They're just wearing big coats. They all just look like really generic. Mm. Like everyone on the whole left half of the screen is just kind of like these guys just showed up and they had no costumes left. Yeah, if you if you actually just isolate each person individually, they could all be from. I mean, what there's like eight people in that. They could they could all be from eight different films in eight different <laughs> genres. At least half of them look like they've accidentally wandered in from uh, Gears of War. Let's just hope that uh, whoever they're fighting doesn't lay out a lot of chest-high walls for them to hide behind. <laughs> um, Harley Quinn looks... It basically looks like, you know, like at Halloween, uh, basically, kind of, no one goes to Halloween party as a nurse. They go as a slutty nurse. This person just like they've gone as a slutty kind of, like, roller girl or something. Just hot pants and pigtails. This is bullshit, Ed. So a, a general lack of imagination gone into this. Who'd have thought it from David Ayer? Um, all, all of the imagination went into that terrible Joker costume. It certainly seems that way. Yeah, they spunked it all up the wall. Where is Joker in this picture? He's not there. Yeah, he's off on his own, being mm. sulky and uh, complaining about how damaged he is. Mm, maybe they've had a rethink. <laughs> so that's uh, that's breaking news, everybody. Um, that's what happened. Um, breaking so... news, we're still not going to see Suicide Squad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't. Even, I thought it was about the those people who try and rescue Brian at the end of Life of Brian, but apparently it's not. Um, it's <laughs> about some kind of boring assholes. So uh, that was uh, the Avengers. Everyone, it's good. Go and see it. It's it's a fun movie. That's kind of it from us this week. Next week we're back uh, with our next artist preview, which is on Ang Lee, uh, which will be exciting because he's done loads of awesome things. Until then, it's goodbye from me. And goodbye from me. And goodbye from me. There are no strings on me.